Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com, S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you, we're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show, we'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the first people to win some prizes. So, thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and a nutrition professor of about 20 years now, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. And this is Phil Stevens. I'm a powerlifter, Highland Games athlete sometimes. I run Strength Guild. I'm a strength coach. And I officially finally squatted three times body weight last weekend. So. Oh, Yep. Is that you? Um, light, but in in the in gear. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But uh, hit uh, seven sixty five. Jesus, about Phil. So that's a big squat. Oh, good. Yeah, I gotta go get my body weight back up. You know, we tightened my suit up, and now I've lost weight. But uh, yeah, it feels good. It felt good. So when you sit back uh, up, like uh, moderately, like twenty pounds. Yeah, kind of I need to gain like ten, fifteen pounds. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not going up big. No. But, right. I remember uh, last time we were in the truck together, you were like, I can't keep doing this. Yeah. So, no, but yeah, that's always good. It was a, it was a good day. Got to meet in seven weeks. So, are right you ready for that? Stars line. Try and get that 800 range. Jesus. So. Yeah. You know, I just think like a switch to gear is actually a really good strategy for somebody who's middle age and their joints might be beat up and. You just get that little bit of extra support holding you together sort of thing? Yep. Yeah. No, it feels good. Like, my hips feel amazing. So I, I come out of sessions, and only the things hurt that are supposed to. So <laughs> Yeah. No, right. Basically, I get muscular sore. My joints aren't just killing me. So. Oh, I know it. Yeah, I yeah. hear you. Because you just end up with this stuff. Like, if I go over a certain weight, and they're not numbers like you push at all, but you know, a, a joint will hurt for a couple of days or my arm will go numb or I'm like, oh. yep. I, I don't know. Young listeners don't get old. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't do it. Um, yep. okay. Well, uh, we have two listener mails this week. Uh, the first is straight to you, Phil. Okay. And the other is going to set up the whole episode. Uh, Matt sent us a question, sort of a egghead meathead question that, it opened a can of worms, and he doesn't know this yet, but he will find out. Yeah. Yeah. But let's start with the first one from Sean. He says, uh, first of all, I'd just like to say, again, how much my wife Gabby and I love your guys' show. We haven't got through all of them yet, but we're getting close. Mainly, I'm writing to see if you can get me in touch with Phil, and I just mentioned to him I would mention this on air. Um, I wanted to inquire about where he got those Strength Guild patches done. I love the amount of detail in them and wanted to make some patches that I've been told locally were too detailed to do. So you're doing stuff that he's yep. being told is impossible. Uh, also, 
uh, to pester you guys to get iron radio patches done so I can get them on my next workout journal. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, personally, I'd like to express my appreciation for the amount of relevant information and strength experience you all have been sharing for the last decade and the ability for those of us who found you late in the show to actually go back and listen to all the great past episodes. Thanks for everything you guys do, Sean. So what do you think, Phil, about the patches? Yeah, no, Sean, uh, Lonnie's right and that I make those. So aside from the coaching stuff I do, and I don't, we don't talk about this on the radio show at all, but I work with a lot of people in the fitness industry, and I create their and produce their merchandise, so including my own. Um, but, uh, yeah, just drop me a line. I know Gabby posted something about us making uh, iron radio patches, too, and I told her, yeah, we'll get something in the pipelines. But um, Oh, good. You guys can reach out to me on there. You know, I know they're, at least she's on, on the uh, – on Facebook and the Iron Radio listeners page, yep. and just drop me a line on there. I'm apprehensive to just throw my email out on the show and get 7 million emails. Uh, no, right, <laughs> from, totally. From people. But uh, drop me a line on there. I'll give you my contact, and uh, we can figure something out. Yeah. Nice. No, that's great. Uh, there's a phone number on here and an email I could give you after. Yeah, send that over to me. That'd be great. Right on, yeah. No, I, I like – now, can you explain to me – and, Sean, you might laugh, but, Phil, like what exactly do you mean by patches? Because when he talks about putting them on a – like a workout journal. Yeah, and they showed a picture. So they have some of my strength field patches put onto a workout journal. These are like fabric embroidered patches. Okay. But I did them with a heat seal background, the one that they're talking about. So you can heat it up and kind of stick it to anything. And they had, I think, what looked like – I'm just going from memory here – like a fabric-faced journal. Um, okay. And they heated it up and stuck them to those. That uh, is cool. Down. So, okay. And we have people use them for all kinds of stuff. They'll put them on their Highland Games kilts. They'll put them on their jackets. They'll put them on whatever. So, right. the bags, hats. So, okay. Um, yeah, you can kind of put it on whatever you want. Yeah, so, it was just throwing me a little like, how can it be fabric and be on a paper journal kind of thing? But I get it now. I get it. Yeah, they used it has a heat seal backing that it's kind of like just hot glue that's bound to it. Yeah, and the minute you heat it up to a certain temperature, then it bonds itself to your journal. I got it. So, yeah, that's uh, you know what we because we have listeners that support us, we do have a little bit of uh, funds. Maybe we just make some. I mean, if Sean wants some, we yeah. can make some strength guild and some um, iron radio ones, and just have a, like a giveaway or a contest or something. Yeah. Yep, we could definitely do something. Okay, no, I love it. Yeah, Phil's hidden secret business there. Yep. Yep. Got to have those side hustles. Right on. So. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And for new listeners, just so you don't think that was an ad, it's totally not. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Gabby and Sean back us up. That's not, that was not rehearsed. They, that's you not know, what we're, you know. the first no. I heard of it. We're talking about giving them away, so. right? At least we are. <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway, um, this next one is going to set up uh, more or less the episode. So we'll ramble about this a little bit. We'll just sort of launch into the topic. I didn't want to do separate news because Matt's email just had me looking all through the literature, like scratching my head like, yeah, uh, why? Why is muscle mass a big deal? Uh, and a lot of our listeners might be like, well, duh, your show's about it, but bear with me. Uh, he says, let's see. Um... Matt had made a recent donation, and I appreciate that. Uh, and again, it does things like let us make these patches and do some giveaways and stuff. It says, uh, I wondered 
if you've ever come across any research or theories about whether hypertrophy may have had some evolutionary adaptation value, whereas strength, power, and muscular endurance have obvious advantages, I was just wondering if hypertrophy might have some as well. I can't think of any, but the thought occurred after you guys and Dr. Mike chatted about hypertrophy being a side effect of strength. Sorry for the long question, but that's what we iron addict eggheads tend to think about, Matt. So I guess my first uh, question to you, Phil, just launching right into this, is what are your initial thoughts about this? Yeah, if it has any value aside from like strength does or evolutionary standpoint, the only thing, the, the only single one thing I can think about is it would literally make you harder to kill. Uh, if you have more stuff, more tissue, more, it's, it's harder to get to vital organs and things like that. If we were in some kind of old school, like, okay, we're jousting, <laughs> you know, we're killing each other with sticks, you know, all of a sudden we're back to that. Um, then I, I've known people that were stabbed or shot and things like that. And they were literally told they made it because they had so much muscle mass mm-hmm. and it didn't get to anything vital. So that would be the the first thing I think of is like something where it's yeah. where it has a a useful role outside the obvious. No, that's just that's a good one. Exact. So I should have thought about that. I I did not go down that particular rabbit hole. But how many times, right, growing up, did we read muscle magazines and some guy was thrown out of his car, uh, and they said he, he you know twenty feet away he landed. He still had the he ripped off steering wheel in his hands, but because mm-hmm. he was a jacked bodybuilder, he walked away. You know, like Windler. Windler, when he wrecked his, got got. I won't say wrecked. He got thrown off his motorcycle on the interstate by some kid on a cell phone. Doctor told him the reason he's alive is because he's so fucking big. Wow, <laughs> he'd be dead. So yeah, like all his tissue held him together. Yeah, he still jacked his back up and stuff. But uh, so, but it's a good point. Like with that much muscle mass, even if you got knifed, shivved or something, it's like, well, mm-hmm. listen, I know a knife's going to cut through meat, but. If there's an awful lot of meat, it's going to at least yeah. slow it down. Yep, and not get into the vital stuff as, as much. Yeah, that's a that's a, a good point there. Um, you're literally just thicker and less likely to break. <laughs> so um, the first thing I thought of, to be completely honest, was – and um, Phil, you might have seen him speak at some sports nutrition conferences, but Robert Wolf is a big deal in protein research – And one of his things, um, and Matt, this kind of addresses what you're saying from a health perspective. Uh, Let me just read you the paper that jumped to my mind. Uh, Strength and Muscle Sport News. This is from the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition back in 06. The underappreciated role of muscle in health and disease. So if you don't know who Robert Wolf is, he's a high-end researcher, thin, kind of tall guy. He's not a typical meathead in any way. In fact, my bias when I hear him talk is that he would look down on a lot of that stuff. Um, When he spoke at ISSN, in fact, you know, he was kind of almost dismissing, like, well, I know a lot of you guys want to apply this. Almost like application is (laughs) beneath him somehow. (laughs) You know, he's elite scientist and mechanist and anyway 
a, a couple of quotes here. That's all I'm going to do with these half a dozen papers, offer some quotes and, and then ask Phil for opinions. Muscle plays a central role in whole body protein metabolism by serving as the principal reservoir for amino acids. And I think that's an important point, right? Unlike fat or carbs, we don't just store, we don't have a dedicated sort of gas tank, right? And fat cells for fat that you consume or um, you have both fat, muscle, and liver that can sort of take the overspill of carbs. But you, the way you store protein is in muscle. So it's like you're kind of using it at, while you're storing it. It's not just a gas tank, if that makes any sense. I mean, obviously muscle has function or Phil wouldn't have a sport. So, mm -hmm. but he's just kind of pointing out that it's there as a reservoir for vital tissues. It provides uh, glucose precursors for the liver, right? So 18 of the 20 amino acids that are stored in your muscles, right? Your body can use cortisol. It'll break down some muscle and your liver can take those amino acids that are released from the broken down muscle tissue and turn it into blood sugar for your brain, right? Um, I was just mentioning to a student recently that the hormone cortisol, which so many athletes fear, stress hormone, right, chews up muscle mass. You don't want to overtrain and have a lot of cortisol, but it's proof that the body prioritizes brain over biceps, right, because cortisol will chew up your biceps, your pecs, your quads if you're not eating uh, to help maintain your blood sugar. So it is that sort of, uh, you know, to his point, reservoir for amino acids, muscle is. It says, further altered muscle metabolism plays a key role in the genesis and therefore the prevention of many common diseases, chronic diseases. Uh, and then here's where he starts to make his point. Nonetheless, the maintenance of adequate muscle mass, uh, basically for metabolic function, has rarely, if ever, been targeted as an end point for dietary protein recommendations. And it's a good point, right? We use the, the factorial method or nitrogen balance or stable isotopes. We're always looking at at what point does protein synthesis start to fade? You know, like you can't endlessly have larger protein in a meal and endlessly more muscle mass. So they always look at like protein synthesis and breakdown. But Robert Wolf is being very practical here even though I said sometimes he sort of mm -hmm. might look down his nose at that. Like, what about just the, the dose of daily protein that gets you the most jacked, right? Whether you're a bodybuilder or not, isn't that a good idea? I mean, people who have more muscle mass, imagine like AIDS wasting or cancer cachexia. you got a ton of muscle mass. You've at least got a bigger buffer to work with before you become frail, you know? Uh, it's not unlike what you said with injury, Phil. Like, right? You're you're just you're mm -hmm. so thickly built. It's it's harder to assault that. And I think even it's even harder for diseases to assault you when you're yeah loaded with muscle mass. So I don't know if yeah. you have any thoughts about that. I mean, obviously, you and there are powerlifters. You guys dig muscle mass. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, you got to look. I mean, we were watching one of the survival shows last night too. And I mean, another thing to think of is like in a. Even in, you get into a survival situation like that, if you have a shitload of excess muscle tissue, you're you're. It's not just fat that you're carrying around that your body could use in a potential disaster situation. Mm -hmm. You know, it can slowly eat that away too and keep you alive <laughs> longer than the, you know, twink counterpart. You know, absolutely. Of course, he may. You know, the twink may struggle a little less at the beginning because he's not as hungry because he's not so big, but. uh at the same time, you have all these reserves and potentially at least 
at least potentially if you're bigger, you also have reserves of strength you can draw on throughout whatever you're going through. Right. You know? Yeah. Like if you lose 10% of your muscle mass and they lose 10% of your muscle mass, but you're already carrying 200% of muscle mass they had, you're in a better position than they are. You know? Straight up. So, yep. yeah, I mean, and that's the other. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can't disagree with that. I mean, yeah. And I, I think it's confusing for a lot of people because they want to pigeonhole uh, nutrient storage as either a gas tank or something functional, mm-hmm. right? But you store so much, I mean, kilos and kilos of your amino acid reservoir as biceps and lats and glutes and, you know, muscles that you're using as well. So it's almost like a gas tank on your car. It did something in addition to holding the gas, you know. So that was the first thing that came to my mind. Now, this next one is a can of worms, and I did my best. I know we have a lot of female listeners to look for female researchers, male researchers, look at it from both perspectives. But the other thing that came to mind, uh, especially thinking about like the selfie generation and all this sort of stuff, is what about – because. You know, he did mention, Matt says specifically uh, evolution, um, sexual attractiveness and reproduction, right? Is there a role? And what I dug for, and it was harder to find, probably not surprisingly, is you can find stuff on broad shoulders and muscle mass in men or, you know, even a higher body mass index if it's all in the right place being attractive I only found one comment even related to women with tons of muscle mass. So, but anyway, so there's a couple of papers here, and I just think these are kind of interesting. We might have a little shorter episode today, but I want to go through some of these, read you some quotes from each one, and give you some reasons why, Matt, evolutionarily, muscle mass does matter. And some of this isn't just survival for the person, like Phil and I are talking about, right? Like whether it's battle or disease. But this is also, what about your ability, or at least your projected ability, to be a badass and protect your family kind of thing, right? Um, This one, first one here from PLOS One, uh, Public Library of Science, 2016, by Mary Ellen Brierly, Brierly, I think. The body and the beautiful, health, attractiveness, and body composition in men's and women's bodies. So a couple of things here. The dominant evolutionary theory of physical attraction posits that attractiveness reflects physiological health and that attraction is a mechanism for identifying a healthy mate. Previous studies have found that perceptions of the healthiest body mass index, so our listeners mostly know that's weight for height, right? Um, Healthiest body mass index for women are close to the guidelines, right? So... Indeed, they're sort of confirming the guidelines are good for carrying a certain amount of weight for your height. But it says, while the most attractive body mass index, according to studies, is significantly lower for women, lower than healthy. In other words, this seems wrong a little bit. Now, this is my commentary, but that women should be thinner than healthy to be attractive. Is kind of, I think, the point that uh, Dr. Briarley's making here. But so it says the most attractive BMI is significantly lower than the healthy BMI, uh, possibly pointing to an influence of sociocultural factors. It says further, research has not addressed the role of fat and muscle, because of course we all know that BMI is not body composition. 
uh, which have distinct relationships to health and are often conflated with body mass index. Well, that's for sure, right? I mean, how many gen pop studies have we talked about where if you have a high BMI, they just say, well, that's all belly fat. You're just gut. You're a, obese. But, right, so many of our lift listeners have high body mass index. Phil, you've been up, what, upper 30s, like crazy high. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, pretty high. Yeah, I'm still 29, and I'm post-competitive, right? So I yeah. still get, you know, silly messages from my doctor about being overweight. Anyway, um, in this PLOS One study, 30 female and 33 male observers were instructed to manipulate female and male body images, like little avatars on the screen, like almost create what you think is the most attractive. It's kind of interesting. Uh, in terms of their fat and muscle, uh, to optimize uh, health and then separately to optimize attractiveness so this is interesting right they're trying to tease apart as men and women build their perfect attractive cartoon kind of mm-hmm. um you know how do they do the health one versus the attractive one it says the most attractive apparent fat mass for female bodies was significantly lower than healthy and it says However, for women, there was no significant differences for muscle mass. So I'm taking away from this that the muscle mass cartoons or avatars that they're manipulating, it didn't seem to have a huge impact as far as health versus attractiveness or whatever. So as you build one, what you build might have an impossibly tiny waist and leanness. Oh, that's most Mm -hmm. attractive. Whereas the muscle mass, it didn't seem to make you attractive or unattractive, apparently. Um, It says the optimal fat and muscle mass for men's bodies uh, was in line with the healthy range. So you can see almost the point she's making is the social pressure on women to be leaner than is healthy. But for men, eh, no, you can be healthy, lean is, is good enough kind of thing. So you could take that from you know what you will and again and again follow it up it's b-r-i-e-r-l-e-y and colleagues plus one 2016 so they're actually creating little avatars i thought that was kind of interesting phil do you think that's true that women are it's just constant social pressure kind of thing to be leaner than is even healthy and men don't have quite as much pressure for that oh yeah i'd say that's still prevalent i mean Sadly, I mean, then, you know, you get in groups like mine and then it's accepted. And, but, yeah, we're definitely not the societal norm. You know? Yes. <laughs> My girls are much, much more jacked and thick than yep. the societal norm is, for mm-hmm. sure. I mean, you just look at the magazines and they're still, you know, twig people. Yep. Is, uh, uh, is what's going on there. No, it's no doubt. In fact, there's a future paper I'm going to show you here. And it does say... Let's pump the brakes because over time or cultures, attractiveness is going to change, right? And yes. so you've got like a subculture there, and I, I can almost guarantee none of your women competitors are going to look like Twiggy mm. anorexic from the magazines in the 1980s or something like that. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, no bueno. So, yeah. um, okay. Now, I, I think my take home, by the way, from that last one was basically that leaner than healthy – is attractive for women and that's you know kind of bs but also that muscle mass you know it didn't really play a huge role in perceived attractiveness um this next one 
Human Physique and Sexual Attractiveness in Men and Women, a New Zealand-U.S. Comparative Study. From Archives of Sexual Behavior in 2010 by Barnaby Dixon and colleagues. Uh, there's both male and female authors here. Not that that should matter. Science is supposed to be objective, but, you know, we all carry a little bit of baggage here. It says, men and women living in New Zealand and California completed five studies regarding human physique and sexual attractiveness. In study one, women in both countries rated mesomorphic muscular and average male somatotypes, so body shapes, as the most attractive. Uh, so the, the jacked and average most attractive followed by ectomorphic slim and then at the bottom endomorphic or you know higher fat, more rounded figures. So again, this is women in both countries looking at more jacked guys kind of it goes the against the supposed dad bod trend doesn't uh doesn't fit mm-hmm. now there's a, a number of studies here that i thought were less relevant to the hypertrophy thing and again anybody can go look at this if they want i give you the reference uh, in study four men rated the attractiveness of back posed female images varying in waist to hip ratio from 0.5 to 1.0. So 1.0 would be your waist and your hip are the same, you know, the same girth. Um, in 0.5, geez, half the waist of the hip, right? So yeah. like very pinched in at the waist, I think here is what they're saying. It says the 0.7 waist to hip ratio figure was rated most attractive in New Zealand and the 0.6 waist to hip ratio in California. So I don't know if you consider that similar or one is you know more more extreme than the other, uh, but again it's it's interesting some of these you know sex related studies and how it might might relate to choosing a mate. So Matt, I'm trying to get at the issue here that aside from a reservoir for muscle tissue or like Phil is saying, armor almost literally body armor, <laughs> um, that there's also this you know this idea of. Uh, sexual attractiveness and part of the reason by the way i, I started looking at in into this as I, I was just typing in words like evolution and muscle mass and and all that kind of stuff but i saw a study a couple of weeks ago and it was suggesting that women first look at the breadth or the muscularity of a man's shoulders and then they'll pan down to his waist like eye tracking studies you know mm-hmm. i wasn't able to find that new one but a lot of these are quite similar um let me offer one more, and then I'll get some more comments from Phil. This is from Anthony Coy and colleagues from Body Image 2014. I didn't even realize there was an article, a journal called Body Image. but <laughs> Why is low waist-to-chest ratio attractive in males? So they're doing this a little bit different. Now it's not waist-to-hip. It's waist-to-chest. Okay. Um, it says the mediating roles of perceived dominance – fitness, and protection ability. These guys say past research suggests that a lower waist-to-chest ratio in men, that is, a narrower waist and a broader chest, is viewed as attractive by women. Again, that's according to research. Uh, They try to develop a model examining perceived dominance, fitness, and protection ability as mediators of the waist-to-chest ratio and attractiveness relationship. Uh, so they're teasing apart something that I thought was interesting here. They look at both short-term sexual attractiveness and long-term 
relational attractiveness, right? Like mm-hmm. spousal mm-hmm. choice. Like I want that one for good, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, they simultaneously tested these things having 151 women rate one of 15 avatars. And these were created by real 3D body scans. So I think this is interesting. Maybe it's a little bit less, you know, cartoony. Men with lower waist-to-chest ratio were perceived as more physically dominant, more physically fit, and better able to protect loved ones. So, and there's some more things about, you know, future research is needed. But, uh, Phil, do you think that plays a role at all um, with, like, let's say you got a power lifter, and we've both seen them. They're kind of thin. You're like, how is that guy doing reps with 405, you yeah. know? Um how would you value someone like that? I mean, if you're like, listen, he's about the strength. I'm all about that. That's crazy good. I don't care how jacked he is. Or would yeah. you like to have someone similar in body weight but very mesomorphic, you know, like if it were you maybe? Um, do you uh, want to be big and strong? Or if you're strong, you don't care if you look thin, you know? Well, I can just tell that. I mean, well, I'm not talking about mating with this guy. So, <laughs> uh, like, if he's my athlete, I can just tell you that generally the – uh, the bigger guys last longer. You know, I've seen lots of guys come up like that um, that are just that have that smaller bone structure and they're they're fairly jacked and strong. But the problem I run into is just the longevity of their joints and stuff. As yeah. far as strength sports go, as yeah. long as as far as moving mass consistently over years, um, they degrade away quicker. They just do. I mean, mm-hmm. and I have to be more careful with them. So <laughs> right. Than some of the behemoths. Well, that's wise as a coach, right? Yeah, Yeah. you don't want to like bury these guys in volume and and destroy (laughs) their bones before they're twenty five. Yeah, so I mean, you just got to kind of watch it with with some of them. Mm -hmm. So that's the number one thing I'd notice is, yeah, they just don't have the they they can't take the beating that a big dump truck of a person can. Yes, (laughs) right. No, honestly, you know that that's why I never did powerlifting. I'm like, I can't do that. Like my joints are, my knees are as small as my wife's. I I can't, I just can't do that. I can't cut it. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a lot of pressure over a small joint. I mean, yeah, know. yeah. So. Yes, and in fact, what I found interesting about this study was the it's specific to chest size. Like it's not yeah. shoulder width. Um, in fact, none of these studies mention arm size at all, which is funny, right? Because people are always saying curls for the girls and stuff. Yeah. None of these are talking about arm size. They talk about shoulders, and this one talks about chest. So interesting. Um, well, I think it's it's a the topic you're on there as far as like just being genetically um, appealing, predisposed. <laughs> yeah, and appealing to somebody. I mean, I mean, it's a lot of people they poo poo that idea, but it's just burnt into you. It is ingrained into us. We are not that far away from animals, and generally, as far as like. You know, when it comes down to it, the human body is here to, you know, basically its main goal is to make you live long enough to procreate and bring the source, keep keep the species going. Yeah. And you know, mm. we're not that far away from that. And, you know, it's genetically just coded in those to, to look for somebody that, uh, okay, that's good breeding stock. You know, they'll yep. last a while. You know, it really is. And I mean, it's it's not sexist to say that. It's not nothing. It's just, yep. It's part of us we can't control. Well, I'm trying to. I found these papers, and they're looking both directions. You know, yeah. women looking at men's shapes, 
men looking at women's shapes, you know, that kind of thing. And I'm digging around for where hypertrophy, you know, plays a role. I'm trying to answer Matt's question a little bit yeah. here. But yeah, it's you, people do conflate a lot of these things together. In fact, I'll tell you what, we're at the half hour point. Let's let's go to break. When we come back, I'll talk about one and Phil, you're kind of touching on some of these key points that the researchers yeah. have. This one's about age and how it will change your little hourglass shape. You know, right. and what does that do? Um, you know, so well, we'll be back in just a minute here. Hello, dear ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, I, yeah, I, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text uh, Keto ebook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it. Do it now. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Okay, listeners. After more than a decade of joining us on the podcast airwaves, you can now also become viewers on YouTube. This is not our usual simple backup of the audio show, but rather a growing body of video taste tests covering various foods of interest to nutrition enthusiasts, bodybuilders, and powerlifters. From within YouTube, simply search for Iron Radio Taste Test or Nutrition Radio Taste Test, in about 15 minutes, we cover taste and texture similar to other products, uh, usefulness to the co-hosts, and whether we would recommend the product to certain clients. You may even want to watch our podcast feed or Facebook group for which products are coming down the pike so you can taste test them with us. Join us for this new monthly project. fix of iron radio in addition to being a popular institute on itunes we are also on email simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email you'll get a once per week email no more that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio so go for it All right, folks, it's Phil and Lonnie. We're back uh, with a couple of more studies, just some analysis or commentary from us on why muscle mass is not just a side effect. I can see how it certainly could be. And I think Phil and I both agree on some level with Mike that, yeah, it is sort of a side effect of uh, of lifting. You know, um, when I got my uh, flu vaccine recently, the pharmacist actually said, you have a lot of muscle mass. And I, I know she's thinking for an old guy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but 
I'm like, and what I just blurted out was, well, that's sort of a side effect of years of, you know, being interested in bodybuilding. It's just, yeah. it's remaining muscle mass. I'm not competitive, but, you know, it's sort of a side effect. And she's like, well, isn't that a good side effect? You know, so, yeah. um, and that's why we're going down this rabbit hole about reservoir of, of amino acids. But also, uh, the question was specific to evolution, like, like to your point, Phil, um, we're built to pass on genes and then... Mm-hmm. You know, you as an individual, you're sort of less important. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yep. I mean, it's sad, but that really is the truth. I mean. Uh, Maybe somebody can even email in. There was a guy who wrote a book about that. Like the genes seem to be the dominant life form on earth, not humans. You know, we're a vessel to pass on genes. I mean, why is sex such a powerful driver? Well, because mm-hmm. passing it on is a bigger deal. Or I th- even think about breastfeeding. I-, I read old breastfeeding studies years ago. You know, I'm a nutritionist, right? So we talk about child maternal nutrition and how the quality of breast milk will be maintained even if the woman, the mom, mm-hmm. starts to become undernourished. And I'm like, well, that's prioritizing the baby, right? So, in fact, the last paper we talked about is, a- is actually about babies. They wanted to look at gender effects before sex hormones start messing with your mind um mm-hmm. but this first one here check this out this is by marianne fisher uh, and colleagues the shape of beauty determinants of female physical attractiveness so it says the past decade has resulted in uh quite a few determinants of um you know studies developments about sexual attractiveness three proposed determinants of beauty have been put forth the waist to hip ratio so we talked about that Body mass index, yeah, we talked about that one already too, and then curvaceousness. And this is where they're, I think, uh, Dr. Fisher here is specifically getting at this idea of the hourglass shape and being curvy um, is what we're trying to do. Now, you can say body comp, you know, you can say muscle tissue, fat tissue, but we all know people carry muscle and fat tissue in more or less appealing ways. I mean, I think that's why bodybuilders at least used to look different from each other um waist to hip ratio is controlled by sex hormones waist to hip ratio also increases as women age and hence may influence perceptions of attractiveness well i think that's also true with guys i don't think guys maintain a small waist as they age Mm -hmm. um It says, this factor has been hotly contested, as some researchers have claimed that a waist-to-hip ratio of approximately 0.7 is universally most attractive. In fact, that's a number we just, I think it was that New Zealand paper we talked about. Mm -hmm. Whereas others have found inconsistent findings on this ideal waist-to-hip. In other words, tiny waist, you know, with rounder hips. Inconsistent by some uh, people. In fact... Other people who contest this say other factors, factors such as body mass index are more important. So just good old weight for height. Uh, it says similar to waist-to-hip ratio research, BMI and its role in attractiveness is not cross-culturally consistent. And this is sort of what you were saying about Strength Guild, right? It's a different mm-hmm. culture, and you guys might not dig or value a gen pop uh, attractiveness value, you know, kind of. It may be the case that both waist to hip ratio and body mass index influence female attractiveness. It says, in addition, we noticed that curvaceousness was also a factor. Curvaceousness is the degree of quote unquote hourglass shape, 
as determined, for example, by the size of the bust relative to the circumference of the waist and then to the hips uh, and also the size of the buttocks. It says, however, curvaceousness does not appear to be temporarily stable as a marker of attractiveness. And I think what they're saying there is over time, over the decades, that's not so much true, right? My wife sometimes jokes about, you know, uh, Rubenesque physiques, right? Like Ruben painted mm-hmm. women mm-hmm. much more booksomous and higher body fat. And that was, that was hot. <laughs> mm-hmm. And over time, those values seem to come and go. So being an old guy, what do you think about this? Curvaceousness or how time or culture changes uh, attractiveness? No, I mean, it, it's true. It happens all over the world. That's like comparatively to you go to third world countries, which I've lived in, and there it is still much more than here. Like excess body fat to a point is seen as very attractive because you have enough money to have excess body fat. Yes. Yep. <laughs> no, Phil. You're well off. I got it. I, you know? I got it right here in, so, in these studies. They actually yeah. say we have to take into account um, uh, environmental factors like um, availability of resources. Yep. Right? And if you have some excess body fat, hey, I'll probably – we'll be able to make it. We'll be eating. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. So, yeah. So. Yep. It's suggestive for sure. Um, I only have one more here to kind of dig into. This is the paper – and again, it's just, it was such an interesting question about what does muscle mass do evolutionarily for our species? And, you know, we don't usually talk about sexual attractiveness kinds of things. And you know why I think, I don't know if it's like this in powerlifting, but even in bodybuilding, I can tell you that when people are competing, oh, and Phil, you see this at the Arnold and stuff, they're so obsessively looking at themselves, objectifying themselves. They're not even looking at other people necessarily. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. and that's the irony. Everybody wants to look so good, yeah. but everybody's so, so self-obsessed they're not noticing each other. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing in powerlifting. Like, the number one thing for people to get into lifting is, like, they're afraid to wear a single. I'm like, literally nobody's looking. Like, you know, yeah. nobody's, they're looking at the 800 pounds on your back, not the single you're wearing. Yep. You know, yep. and I don't, I don't notice anybody when I'm lifting. I'm paying attention to what the hell I'm trying to get done. Right. So, and even backstage in bodybuilding, I remember when I was in Fargo. I've told this story ages ago, but with the tanning on-site tanning booth and all this kind of stuff, and spray booths and all this stuff that were going on, and there are guys and gals running around literally nude, like. They gave yeah. socks yeah. to the guys to put over their package. <laughs> I'm not yeah. kidding. Um, because, you know, when you spread out and you get all the spray all over you, it's all very, co- you know, theatrical and fake kind of. Um, but people objectify the body to such an extent in bodybuilding. It's more like even, you know, if I were to look at a, a, a woman with big legs, I, it's more like respect and like almost like you're, sh- you're at a car show and you're looking at like, a, I don't know some badass vehicle or something you're like wow that's slick and you don't think at all about like oh let's go get some coffee (laughs) you know (laughs) um it's just not like that and in fact there was a sociologist uh i don't remember his name i'm not a muscle historian but he visited gold's gym in the golden era and he said he after the guys lifted they went into the shower room and they were looking at each other's you know, they dropped their drawers, looking at their legs and this and that. And the researcher thought he was going to see a homosexual event. And he said, I just, I realized how 
out of the culture I was because it had nothing to do with sexual attractiveness. They were they were just, you know, it was just like an admiring. Like I said, you might see fenders on a car or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's not, you know, even in physique stuff, it's it's not necessarily about that. Yeah. Um, now, having said that, when Fortress was on the podcast, he would talk about some crude comments he'd hear from judges about how to judge women. And Phil, you remember yes. some of those probably. Yes. Um, and I'm like, oh, dude, like you're yeah. you're just a pig. You're missing the point. Anyway, yeah. I got one more. Um, Jerry Ann Alexander uh, and colleagues. I think these are all female authors. Frontiers in Psychology, 2016. Infants prefer female body phenotypes. Infant girls prefer that they have an hourglass shape. Now, this is interesting, right? They're trying to track is babies. What do they look at the longest when you present them things on a screen, you know? Um, But let me read some of this. Adolescents and adults show preferences for male and female body shapes consistent with evolutionary theories of reproductive fitness and mate selection. However, when these preferences for females with narrow waists, that is a 0.7 waist to hip ratio. So again, this hourglass thing, they're really getting the number 0.7 in a lot of these studies. Uh, And men with broad shoulders, that is a mesomorphic body shape. um, When these preferences emerge during the lifespan is largely unknown. So they tracked eye movements of 146 infants. They were 3 to 18 months of age during computer presentation of three-dimensional human figures. When presented with pairs of figures differing in apparent sex, male and female infants looked significantly longer at the female figure compared to the male figure. And I think that's interesting, right? Both genders or sexes of baby are more fixated on the female figure. The, the guys, they're thinking, okay, I don't know, man, whatever. <laughs> yeah. um, when presented with same-sex figures differing in characteristics associated with mate value, male and female infants, so both kinds, looked longer at low mate value, that is endomorphic body shape, uh, compared to high mate value, that is, a high mesomorph body shape. Uh, and it says, this is a finding that replicates the results of previous research. Now, I find that a little odd that, again, when they show same-sex figures on a screen, they look longer at the low-value uh, body shape than the high-value. Uh, and that's apparently replicated in other research. Uh, so I don't know w- w- what you could take from that necessarily. It does say, this is sort of uh, additional findings, female infants looked longer at the high mate value female figure. It's almost as if they're, even a baby is identifying, I don't know, like th- that hourglass shape as something that they're going to linger on. Uh, It says, in some, these findings suggest that infants generally do not possess preferences for adult-defined attractiveness values. Uh, However, infant girls' greater attention to a female figure with, you know, that curvaceous waist-to-hip ratio uh, of Mm 0.7 is sort of a thing. And it says it may even affect their preference for toys. I mean, think about a Barbie doll, you know. Um, So... I don't know if you have any uh, comments on that. Like, uh, 
you know, babies and that kind of thing. What I'm trying to do is just be as objective as I can because I don't want anybody saying, well, gender is a spectrum. What about non-gender pronouns? And listen, I'm just reading from the literature, okay? (laughs) Like you can be offended by some of these things or not, but sort of to your point earlier, Phil, is like people, you know, like that old phrase, be a good animal first. Mm -hmm. You can ignore these things, but everybody's going to have certain preferences. They're going to change across culture, across time. But this looks like even babies are looking at that hourglass shape, if you will. And, you know, it makes you wonder, is that just boobs, waist, butt? Or is it is there something to do with shoulders, waist, yeah, butt? And the combination of it all, yeah. And you can deny these things. I mean, you, you can choose to. But it's just something that naturally happens. And it's okay. It's not that you're, in, you know... <laughs> um, misogynist asshole or anything else it's just how you're freaking wired from birth yeah so yeah yeah and as long as you're not casting value judgments on that you know like i remember clint eastwood made a comment about gay guys and he goes that's none of my damn business you know and you would think that he might be very opinionated and conservative and he's that's totally not my business (laughs) you know if that's what depends what you dig what you dig you know kind of thing but we're just trying to address uh, the the hypertrophy thing here you know like i think it matters all the way back to the beginning question injury prevention disease resistance uh, longevity in general yeah yeah family Uh, protection um and yes even attractiveness. And like I said, mm-hmm. I only found the one comment about women and muscle mass at all where it said that it didn't seem to influence attractiveness. In some ways, that's good, right? That could be a woman could say, listen, I can build as much muscle as I want. And at least suggested in this research, it's not going to have a giant impact on my uh, att- sexual attractiveness or not. But again, yes. that's so not what our sports are about, in my opinion, mm-hmm. <laughs> that. It's it's one of those things where I think it is very egalitarian. Yeah. Like I never body was into bodybuilding competitively, starving myself for twenty five weeks at a time to try to you know be a male model on a magazine and try to be attractive <laughs> or something. I was yeah. I wanted to be yeah. gross and brutal and almost like freaky, freak people out. You know, and it, it, yeah. it this the whole value system of the subculture is just different. I think. Yeah. No, and I, I mean, let's look at me. When I started powerlifting, I was 219. And I've worked my way up as high as 290. And all of that, every bit of that was just in the quest of doing better. Yes. That's it. It yeah. wasn't to, to look a certain way. It was to yeah. move more weight, move more weight, move more weight, move more weight. <laughs> so, and as a byproduct, I got bigger and stronger. And, you know, it's just like any... You look at any lifter over their career, and they slowly move up weight classes, and they slowly get bigger. And getting bigger and stronger is just getting stronger to a certain point. You just have to add more stuff. So mm-hmm. tissue. You, yeah. At a point, you have to add more hypertrophy. I mean, yeah. you just have to. You know, you can't and definitely get stronger with the same amount of muscle. So yeah, you know, I'd like but, to see a comparison of Gen Pop versus sort of strength and muscle subculture people like. There's no doubt in both sports, you become so jacked, you will definitely hear certain gen pop people be like, oh, that's gross. He's freaky, yeah. you know, big caveman, you know, or yeah. even yeah. the guys get that. Like there's not an – there's yeah. – you can overdo muscle mass from an oh, average yeah. person's attractiveness value system even for guys. 
you know. Well, you can do it. You can overdo it in a usefulness in a physical way. I mean, like, I don't know. My top choice wouldn't be like Ronnie Coleman at his best if I'm going on a survival situation and I need to hike 30 miles through the mountains to get an elk. Ronnie's going to have a hard time. Yeah. Because you know? <laughs> he's so fucking big. But, uh, you know, give me another. Like, hey, we need to knock down this wall you know, and beat up the people on the other side of it. Yeah, maybe I'm choosing Ronnie. Yeah, you know? Right. So it depends on the goal, too. I mean. Totally. It's... In fact, you mentioned, like, uh, like they, there's a quote even, I made me think of it in the uh, Conan movie. I mean, Arnold, like, you know, bred to yeah. the best stock and this and that. But yes. there's been a lot of arguments. In fact, the the reboot of Conan they tried to do, I, I it was okay. Um, I don't know. It was maybe 10 years ago. I don't know. It, they tried to redo the Conan movie. And they chose a guy who was much more, like, not bodybuilder. You know, he was more just athletic, kind of. Um, so yeah, so there's got to be this fine line, I think, between muscle mass and functionality, you know, when it comes down to it. And you're right, in extreme bodybuilding, um, those guys aren't particularly functional. It's almost like false advertising in a way. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. All right, well... There you go. Uh, that was a listener question that blew up into a whole episode. So some thoughts for you. You know, if you agree, disagree, um, you know, fire us an email through ironradio.org and we'll read it on air. So, All right, then. We'll see you next Hi, time. Hi, everybody. Thanks a lot. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.